Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Trebowasser, fresh off of power washing her house. Melissa, how so, are you feeling? So here, here's the deal. Um, when I bought this house, one of the like key selling points was that the backyard has like no grass, right? And most of the front yard is all, it's all stamped concrete. Beautiful. Maintenance is easy. Wonderful. And then it comes time to seal it. And after power washing and sealing, I don't know, almost 2000 square feet of concrete over the last two and a half days, um, I'm feeling every day of my 43 years and a half years right now. Like I, my low back, I've been, I'm keeping it right next to me, the Theragun. (laughs) Like it's literally within arm's length of me at all times. That and an ice pack is how I'm surviving. So I am not feeling nearly as good as TCU baseball right now. Um, Great segue. You know, um, it's <laughs> the though the body is failing, the mind is still sharp, um, depending on who you ask. But yeah, um, because though um, we are both celebrating victories, I think theirs was a little bit. They had a little bit easier path to theirs than mine. I don't know. There, there are a couple guys that maybe could have used a little ice this morning and, during true. the selection show, but. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump right into this baseball. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your major weekend dad activity. That was oh, very I, impressive. I, I put this on Twitter, but I have to add this thing. Like the most like, like homeowner, like daddish I've ever felt was like the power just went out randomly on Saturday night for like an hour. <laughs> and like, I kid you not, my first instinct was to like call the power company and then immediately to step outside into my front yard and look around and the whole street, everybody was just standing out in their front yard and we kind of did the, you too, huh? And I was <laughs> like, oh my God, I somehow just became uh, like a 50 year old suburban father of two. Um, I don't know how it happened. I, it was it was the greatest, like the greatest moment of my life. I was like, I've arrived. Welcome. I've arrived as a homeowner. Yeah. Welcome to the club. It's a good club. We made jackets. Um, you know who else is making jackets? I don't know. That's terrible. Uh, terrible. Uh... We're going to move on. We're just going <laughs> to, we're going to leave it in and I'm going to move on. We're talking about TCU baseball on this episode today and only TCU baseball because it is selection show Monday. We know where the Horn Frogs are going for the NCAA regionals. We know what happened in the big 12 tournament, also known as TCU one surprise, surprise. Um, depending on who you are, that might actually have been a surprise, but if you've been paying attention to TC baseball for the last month, you kind of maybe saw this coming a little bit, but, uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of an RPI conversation and talk about one team from the big 12 that probably should have gotten in that got snubbed mainly because the committee leans really heavily on RPI, but we're also going to talk Melissa about one instance where they didn't let rpi make the decision for them but we're going to start with the big 12 tournament because tcu are your big 12 tournament champions after a 12 to 5 win over oklahoma state on sunday night out at globe life field that completes their 4-0 run through the big 12 tournament they made it as clean as they possibly could they beat kansas state on monday or on wednesday morning beat kansas on thursday afternoon had a friday off day before they took care of kansas state once again on saturday morning before beating Oklahoma State in the title game. Melissa, we talked about on the last episode, TCU's comfort at Globe Life Field, and it really looked like that paid off for them. And Kirk Sarlos even mentioned it on Saturday, I believe, how comfortable they are playing there. They looked comfortable all week, more so than any other team. You know, I think that 
I kind of joked about this on Twitter too. Like maybe we should petition to move games from Lupton to, to Globe Life because the, the I mean, it, it is good as the Rangers have been this year. I mean, I, I feel like TCU is the best team to, to have set foot in that stadium in the last couple of seasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, they set a record um, for their all-time scoring record in the Big 12 tournament with, I think they finished with 48 runs, if I am correct. Um, and they did that in less than four full games. So they were averaging over, I think you tweeted about that too, over, over 12 runs per game, um, which is just incredible impressive for a team that you know at times has showcased that that power but really I think their globe life runs per game average has is, is got to be you know kind of pushing that 13 14 runs a game when you consider what they did in the opening weekend um, of the season as well against some uh, some pretty good SEC teams there so um, yeah I think comfortable is the word right and I think if there's one thing that we've talked about over the course of the season especially kind of towards the end of March and, and most of April this team didn't look comfortable at all in any way shape or form um, the pitching staff didn't look comfortable the bullpen didn't look comfortable the coaching staff didn't look comfortable the position players didn't look comfortable there was there was kind of that missing uh, just the, the vibes were off, right? Like that's the easiest way to say it. And if, if there's one thing that you could say about the last week at Globe Life, it's the vibes were were really immaculate. Um, they they pitched well for the most part. You had a couple of rough spots, but but nothing that was concerning. And generally, in in opportunities to to be able to give a little bit more leash to your pitcher, um, the hitters. I mean, just from the top to the bottom of that lineup, it seemed like every day somebody was doing something ridiculous and every day somebody was doing something ridiculous. And also Braden Taylor was doing something ridiculous. Um, Curtis Byrne, uh, just, uh, he probably was your MVP in the victory on Sunday. He was outstanding. The base running was good. They were hitting for power when you have, you know, Luke Boyers come off the bench in an injury situation and just drive a three, uh, three run Jack deep into, into what was that like right center or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of tells you where this team is, how they're feeling. Um, so overall, uh, just a really impressive week to cap off an impressive kind of month for TCU baseball. And it seemed like they were clicking on all cylinders. Um, I was watching everything on TV, listening on the radio. I know you were in the ballpark, uh, that home crowd too, seemed like it was, it was pretty purpled out for, for especially those last couple of games. And that had to help as well. It really did. You know, they set a, a an attendance record, Oklahoma State and TCU fans did on Sunday night for the title game with over close to 15,000 fans in the stadium, which was really nice to see. Very full. And that came after uh, a couple of kind of more national, regional uh, media groups kind of bashing the Big 12 attendance for the week. You know, it's tough for working people to get yeah. to a 9 a.m. Wednesday baseball yeah. game. Right. Uh, and so I think taking into consideration that they set records over the weekend, um, it was a good showing by the fan bases for the Big 12, especially ones that are going to be sticking around if, you know, in the future of the conference. It's going to be really cool, I think, if the tournament continues to be at Globe Life, to see Central Florida and Cincinnati and BYU fans come in for the tournament as well. I, I think Globe Life is a, is a beautiful venue, uh, and it's a great spot for the tournament to happen. You mentioned Braden Taylor and Curtis Byrne. They were absolutely on fire all weekend long, Braden obviously won most outstanding player award for the tournament. He got that hardware last night. Um, he hit his 46th career home run and yeah. 21st home run of the season in uh, one of the later innings of Sunday's game to help pull away from Oklahoma state that, you know, the frogs got out to a 10 to two lead and then Oklahoma state hit a three run home run um, to bring that to within five. And, you know, knowing that Oklahoma state had just played 18 innings against Texas tech, where they had come from behind late in that second game, 
to score five runs and then have a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth inning, you know, your, your heart rate started to get up a little bit as a TCU fan thinking, oh, okay, well, they just came back from a five-run deficit yesterday. Are they going to do that again? Uh, and then Braden Taylor comes out, cranks a two-run home yeah. run, puts the Frogs back up by a touchdown, and everything seems to be it's gravy over. from there. You know, they bring Garrett Wright in in the, in the final inning, even though Ooh. it was a seven-run lead, and he just threw, threw gas, did what he's been doing for the last month and a half of the year. Um, and got to celebrate with his teammates as they ran out onto the field after they clinched the title. So uh, a really good week of Big 12 tournament play for TCU to kind of continue that momentum that we've seen from them over the last few weeks of the season. And now they get to head to Fayetteville. You know, there was really never a chance based on what happened earlier this year, you know, getting swept by West Virginia, losing two or three to Texas, losing the series to UNC Wilmington uh, to for, for TCU to host. Like that just wasn't going to be a thing that happened, but they did play their way over the last several weeks from a three seed into a two seed position, which I think was really good for them to do. Uh, and now they head to Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas. I, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, on the, on the two seed, I know there was a lot of um, question marks, you know, even heading into the championship game, if TCU was going to be able to work their way up. Um, I know we talked about it quite a bit. We're talking about it, the group chat quite a bit. Um, you know, the announcers were, fairly confident that TC was going to be in there, but I, I think that just the way that they dispatched an, an Oklahoma state team that is a national host, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a national seed um, that is talented can really just, I mean, just hit the snot out of the baseball all season long and has so many, um, you know, pro prospects on that roster, so much young talent as well. And it's such a good reputation. I think that, that by the time it was, you know, what was it? Eight, nothing before you could kind of blink your eyes. I think that kind of, kind of vaulted TCU into that conversation along with just their reputation and their pedigree in, you know, in the the postseason when it comes to college baseball. And so I think it was good for them to handle business to, like you said, Braden Taylor to kind of put the cherry on the top there in the late innings and just remind people that, that this TCU team uh, is talented, can play, can compete at a high level. And yeah, your reward for working your way into a two seed is you get to go to a place where the home team has lost four games all season long. So yep. that's real exciting. See, so this is this is the the kind of cost benefit, right? So right. okay, well they worked their way up into that two seed range, but they're one of the lower two seeds, which means they're going to a national mm-hmm. seed host. All right. Well, yeah. if they had been a higher three seed, then you might have seen them. I don't know against Coastal Carolina, maybe South Carolina, yeah. maybe you know one of those quote unquote easier host sites as a better three seed, but that's not the case for TCU. They're going to Fayetteville. I, I, I like this matchup. Obviously, you know, I grew up an Arkansas fan as well because of my dad. So um, that's going to be a, a fun thing to kind of just for me personally to see. But um, I, I do think that TCU with the way they're playing right now, can compete in any situation in the country. And it's going to be an uphill battle against Arkansas, no doubt. But first they got to get through Arizona. Uh, That is their first game against three seed Arizona. The Wildcats finished 12 and 18 in the PAC 12 this year in the regular season, but managed to make a run to the PAC 12 championship in the tournament. They lost that, that championship game five to four to Oregon. So let's. Uh, I want to take a second and take a look at Arizona's resume just for a moment to give some Frog fans a little bit of insight here. They finished the season 33 and 24, 12 and 18, like I said, in Pac-12 play. Uh, they got into this tournament because of their run in the Pac-12 tournament. That's pretty clear at this point. Making the championship game is what got them into the NCAA tournament. In the regular season, they got swept by Oregon State. They got swept by Arizona State. They got swept by Oregon. They got swept by UCLA. And they lost the series to Stanford and Washington State in conference. They also lost a non-conference series to West Virginia. But in the tournament, 
they beat Oregon State. They beat Arizona State. They beat Stanford to even their whole series against Stanford to two and two. And then obviously they lost to Oregon five to four in the title game. So I think in the committee's eyes, they made up a lot for a lot of those regular season losses by beating teams that they got beat by in the regular season. If that, if that makes sense, I kind of trapped myself with my grammar there, but they, they, they beat a lot of teams that beat them prior. And so they kind of canceled out some of those losses. I think along the way, their RPI was 45. So kind of right on that cut line, we saw a team that swept them Arizona state at 52 with an RPI. They were the first team out officially, according to the selection committee, um, UC Irvine, who had, a, I believe, a 49 RPI, also on the outside looking in. Um, but Arizona gets in because of their tournament run. And they're, uh, you could kind of compare them to TCU a little bit insofar mm-hmm. as they picked up speed late in May. They obviously made this really good tournament run, and they're playing a, a better brand of baseball than they were earlier in the season. And so uh, it's like Kirk Sarlos has said all week, uh, and, and he said it again today, it's better to be playing good baseball late than early. Um, you'd re- you'd want to be playing your best baseball right now at this time of year. Uh, and it appears that Arizona State or that Arizona is doing that. So I'm really interested to see how this first game turns out for the Frogs, because while a lot of folks don't think Arizona should be in this tournament, they are. Uh, and you know that they're going to bring their best effort to Fayetteville against the Horn Frogs. Well, here's here's what it, it intrigues me about this, and and I there's a reason I called this kind of I, I thought this was a pretty brutal matchup for TCU, a pretty brutal bracket, all things considered. Um, and everybody, I, I got a little bit flack back from a couple people of, oh, you're just seeing the Arizona name and thinking, yeah, that that's it's just it's the pedigree, right? But this is a team that could hit the snot out of the baseball. When you talk about the two wins against Stanford in those two games, they scored 35 runs, mm-hmm. um, and and it was in uh, I think. Uh, uh, t- t- 19 innings, right? A 10 inning game and then a, a nine inning game. They average almost nine runs per game over the course of the season. They can really hit. And the one thing that we've seen kind of get TCU in trouble is when pitchers aren't throwing strikes. Um, we saw a little bit of that on um, Saturday. We saw a little bit of that on Sunday. I mean, they can, the TCU pitchers can lose kind of command of the zone for times. And, and with a lot of young guys, a lot of guys in their first season of kind of big time college baseball, that tends to happen. Um, and if you allow the Wildcats to get guys on base, they're going to get them home. They score a ton of runs. TCU has been doing the same thing, obviously, over the last couple of weeks as well. They've had a ton of runs on the board. And so some of the, the issues that the pitching staff has had have been a little bit mitigated by that. But uh, you could see a game where this could be a five to four come down to the final at bat or where one and or both teams put up football scores. I mean, neither I think would really surprise us, but if this ends up being a high scoring game, um, you know, I think that both of these teams can be very competitive that if it comes down to a bullpen, I'd like TC's pitching staff better than I like Arizona's I think on the whole um, in, in pretty much every, every way, shape or fashion. But when you're Kirk Sarlis and you're kind of playing playing the game of, you know, like we obviously have to win the first one, but we also know that we've got a buzzsaw coming at us on the other end. It's going to be really interesting if this does become kind of a 13 to 12 kind of a game, how many arms you go through, what arms you go through and and how you kind of play to win today, but also to keep your, your, you know, a little bit left in the chamber for tomorrow. So I I think it's a tough matchup for the Horned Frogs. Um, I, I do think they're a better team than Arizona, but you know, as great as TCU is playing right now, um, you know, Arizona is also kind of strung together a good couple of weeks. And so um, getting past the Wildcats, you know, very doable, very possible, but it's, it's, what does it cost you? Just like we talked about the cost benefit analysis with the two seed, like what's it going to cost you to have to get past a team that can easily put double digits on the board against the TCU pitching staff that has given up 
quite a few of those types of games as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, uh, Garrett Wright spoke to this after the selection show uh, on Monday as well, just because I asked, I said, hey, with the way this team is clicking right now, kind of what's the ceiling for TCU? And he said, well, Arizona right now is the ceiling for TCU. We've got to make sure that we get that first game in the tournament. Um, and he he even he called back to the A&M regional last year where TCU dropped their mm-hmm. first game out of the gate against Louisiana and just how much more difficult yeah. it makes a weekend when you lose game one. Look at look Oklahoma at, State. Look at Oklahoma State. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. They ended up having to play 18 innings on Saturday just to get to Sunday. They used up pretty much all of their arms to the point where you pointed out in our group chat, they were pitching a guy who had never pitched in a live game. A junior. As a junior. A three-year guy, yeah. And he pitched for the first time in a live game in the late innings of the Big 12 title game because they were out of arms. And, and the second batter he faced was The second batter he faced was Braden Taylor, and Braden Taylor cranks one. And, and that's that's your ball game right there, right? And so and we can get into you know what Josh Holiday was doing as far as usage for his arms because he threw – uh ben abram yeah. on sunday he threw 42 pitches on, on sunday after throwing 65 on friday uh nolan mcclain threw uh two innings on sunday after throwing 87 pitches on on thursday right there's a lot of stress on some of these arms yeah. when you're getting into this many baseball games in such a short amount of time uh, and that's something that if tcu can avoid then they're going to be in really good shape because sure. they have the talent on on the mound and they have the talent as we've seen in, in at the plate as well um, to make a deep run. They've just got to make sure they keep their ledger clean uh, and, and, like you said, figure out a way to do that while preserving what they need to to win the next game down the road. Yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a, a tough weekend because when you look at it, ultimately, if you want to advance out of this regional, you're going to have to be Arkansas at home twice. Um, I don't think any. I, I just kind of took a quick glance, but I don't know that any team has beaten them in Fayetteville twice this season. Um, you know, and and we're gonna look back at that first weekend and be like, oh man, TCU just absolutely destroyed Arkansas that opening weekend. But you're looking at a very different Arkansas team. You're looking at a very different TCU team. Um, we saw them get out to that start. We thought that this was a team that was going to win the Big 12, and, and they slumped in the middle of the season, whereas Arkansas kind of started out a little bit slower but was absolutely in cruise control by by the time kind of push came to shove into May, and they had locked up that, you know, that national seed. So, uh, you, you know, it's – it's there, there's no – there are a lot other matchups that we looked at that we said, man, like I would have loved to have been in that Conway bracket. I would have loved to have been in Indiana state, you know, with a, with a lower um, uh, regional host seed. Um, I obviously was personally rooting for the Stanford regional, but Texas A&M of course ends up getting, getting sent out to Palo Alto and we get sent to Fayetteville. It it makes sense because of the SEC ties, obviously, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, there. There are probably tougher brackets out there as well for TCs, probably worse matchups, but I, I mean, you're going to have to earn it. And the one thing I will say, and, and I think a lot of people kind of given uh, it, they're looking more at the, the regional pairings than they are at the, the regional directly. And if you can get out of this, um, I, I think the path to Omaha opens up and clears up quite a bit for, for the team that survives this Fayetteville regional to have a chance. But I think survival is kind of going to be the word. I, I don't think you're going to see any team, including Arkansas, come out of this thing unscathed. I think you're going to have to earn it. Uh, we're not giving any uh, you know, credence to Santa Clara whatsoever, and I feel a little bit bad about that. Who knows? I mean, they could pop up and win one, but I, I don't really see Santa Clara as, as, as having too long of a weekend out in Fayetteville with, with the travel and just the competition that they play. I, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. But, uh, I mean, I think this this comes down to you've got three kind of blue blood programs 
that are going to be duking it out um, in one regional. And, and you can say what you want about this, the regular season Arizona had, uh, but this is a program that knows how to win. Um, and, and when you get to postseason times, that that does mean something, I, I think, whether it means something this weekend or not, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think he's, uh, you make a really good point that this is a, a deep regional. There is a lot of blue blood talent here. Uh, I, I'm also looking at, and you're right, that Arkansas has only lost four games at home this year. Um, but they have, they did just lose two of three to Vanderbilt. They lost a game in early May to Lipscomb in Little Rock, right? Like there are chinks in the armor here for sure. Arkansas. This is not a perfect team. Uh, they are the number three national seed. They've, they've earned that. They won 40 games this year. They won the regular season in the SEC, which was an absolutely stacked yeah. baseball conference this year. Seven, There's no doubt about seven it. Seven regional hosts eight, out of the eight SEC. Hosts. Eight, eight, eight hosts. out of the wow. SEC hosts. Yeah. The, in comparison to the Big 12 having six teams get in at all, yeah. right? So uh, the, uh, the SEC is the premier conference right now in baseball. TCU fans and TCU baseball players don't want to hear that, but that's the case. Yeah. Uh, they kind of groaned, uh, the, the players did, when um, the selection show kind of kicked the whole show off uh, by um, kind of touting the SEC and yeah. talking about how they were so dominant and yeah. the premier baseball conference they, and all this kind of stuff it. but they've earned it this they year. have they've earned yeah. it they they are top to bottom the best conference in college baseball and now tcu's got to go beat their regular season champion to move on to a super regional that's that's where we are um and, and i think they're they're capable though is the thing it's like sure. i'm not for sure i'm not approaching this regional and saying gosh this is so stacked i don't know how they're going to do it i think that the recipe is out there and it's less because of the win that TCU had in the first weekend of the season against Arkansas at Globe Life like that. I don't think that game is very relevant to the state, to where we are right now. Um, but it's because of the way that this team has gelled over the last month of the season. Yeah. Um, they, they hit rock bottom in that sweep against West Virginia. Um, that that's just the fact. And then it was kind of, they kind of doubled down on rock bottom, those first two games against Texas at home. Um, since May 1st though, that Sunday game against Texas, this team has won 14 out of 16 games. And I don't know what clicked. I don't know that coaches or players could put a, an exact finger on it. Um, other than the fact that they just kept showing up every day, ready to work. Uh, pitchers started throwing the ball much better. Hitters started hitting more consistently. I mean, you want to talk about Curtis Burns tournament. Let's talk about Curtis Burns May. Yeah. Curtis Burns batting average on May 1st was 228. <laughs> uh, am I right on that? Yeah. 229 on May 1st in that last game against Texas. That includes his two for four day. He had gotten it up to 228 on May 1st. Now, after Oklahoma's after the win over Oklahoma State, he's hitting 287. This guy has been uh, he yeah. raised his Hair. he raised his batting average 60 points in the month of May. That is very difficult to do. He's been hitting the crap out of the ball. Part of that is because he's healthy, right? Yeah. He dealt with some back injuries earlier in the season, but he's been able to solidify that designated hitter spot for TCU, which has been something that they've struggled with over the last two seasons. Yeah. Trying to find a consistent bat in the lineup to hit DH. It's been Curtis Byrne for the last month. He's been doing a, a tremendous job uh, in that role. And it's also, I think, saved him health-wise with the fact that Carson Bowen has been able to step in as your everyday catcher and still hit the ball incredibly well as well. I think Carson's 
Bowen's batting average is up over 340 right now. Yeah, he's uh, been unbelievable. So. For for a true freshman this late in the season who has basically had to catch every single game since mm-hmm. what, like mid-March. Uh, it, it's pretty amazing that that not only has like the the preparation as an 18-year-old kid to be ready as a as a yeah. true freshman to handle the physical toll of catching this many games. I mean, you got to give that kid a ton of credit. And then, like you said, to be hitting the way that he's been hitting and his mm-hmm. approach at the plate is so mature. Uh, to do all of those things um, and, to, and to be able to do them at a high level this late in the year, like you got to yeah. give him along with the, the, the freshmen on this roster, just mm-hmm. so much credit for mm-hmm. their maturity. Yeah. You talk about the maturity. Uh, there was a moment in Sunday's championship game where Carson, so Chase Hoover got the start. He's a freshman lefty. He's pitched pretty well this year. He's got really good stuff. Uh, yeah. I would not be shocked to see him in the weekend rotation next year. As we start to project out what this thing could look yeah. like. Um, he got, his, uh, one of his few starts of the year on Sunday. It was his second time facing Oklahoma State. And if you'll recall, the first time he faced Oklahoma State was that Friday night game in Fort Worth where the wind was blowing out yeah. at Lupton for the first time in probably 35 years. Oklahoma State hit five home runs off of him and won that yeah. baseball game, right? And so you come into this game and you're, you look at that score and you think, oh gosh, what's going to happen? And, and Chase did not have his best stuff. He, he walked a couple guys. He hit a couple guys. His control was, was wavering at times. Back to, but but to the point about maturity and specifically with Carson Bowen, uh, uh, Sarlos came out and made a mound visit at one point in the second inning and uh, had a conversation. It was a quick conversation with Hoover. Goes back to the dugout. A couple more, um, a couple pitches later, he throws a couple more balls. Uh, I think he just walked a kid and he was 2-0 and to uh, the next hitter. And Oklahoma State had runners on second and first uh, with one out and then a, a 2-0 and count to the guy at the plate. Hoover call, or uh, Carson calls time, walks out there, waves the infield in, and he runs the show at the mound <laughs> for this time. Like, Sarlos never comes out. Winkler they never can't. comes out. Yeah, they right. can't, right? He can't because he's going to have to pull the kid. Yeah. And so Carson goes out there. And what happens next? Chase Hoover settles down, gets an out, gets a strikeout to end the inning. TCU is up eight to nothing after two innings, right? That could have been a really big turning point for Oklahoma State to get a couple of those runs back. All of a sudden, they're, it's, it's not eight to nothing. Now it's, okay, well, it's eight to three now. All right, this is a mountain we can climb. Carson Bowen's ability not only to be physically capable of playing behind the plate every game and maintaining his batting average and hitting well, but the mental aspect of being a catcher and working with all of these pitchers, knowing how to calm everybody down, calling in the infield and reminding guys like Braden Taylor and Trey Richardson of their responsibilities on, on defense, right? Like that is a leader of men. Carson Bowen has been absolutely incredible this year behind the plate as a catcher and as a leader, uh, being able to manage this pitching staff that is so talented, uh, a little volatile at times. Um, you cannot overstate the value of having a kid like Carson Bowen. And like you said, just at 18 years old, makes it all the more impressive. And, you know, now you've got him for next year. You got him for the year after that. We're, we're talking, this is, this is a long way off, but there've been some really good catchers to come through this program, right? Brian holiday comes to mind. Evan Scout comes to mind. Uh, This, this kid is that right. He is him when it comes to that level of catcher. And the fact that TCU has him, the fact that he is not only doing all of these things, but also 
helping keep Curtis Byrne healthy. Yeah. And we've seen a revitalization of him at the plate, right? All of these things are connected. Uh, and, and it's been really, really key to TCU's success this last month and a half. And listen, to have the respect of those older guys that when he weighs them in and tells them what to do and they listen with no questions, but then also like, and I love Evan Scout when you talk about the respect, right? Like that's what Carson Bowen is looking at the respect of your teammates. But Evan Scout was not throwing out batters at the or runners, base runners at the rate that Carson Bowen is. I mean, that kid yeah. is his pop time behind the plate is unbelievable. I mean, he had a a perfect throw on a, a good jump that Oklahoma State runner had. And, and he ended up stealing because the jump was just so good. But like Carson Bowen kind of he could tell how frustrated he was because he did everything right and the guy just beat him. And that just doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he does everything right, he's going to give up a stolen base. And so again, to, you know, to be in tight situations and to have teams that want to run, want to be aggressive, but to know that they're not going to be able to do that very easily on this true freshman behind the plate, uh, it's it's unbelievable. And and you think about that moment, you know, you've got a true freshman catcher, you've got a true freshman pitcher, you've got a true freshman shortstop and and all of those guys kind of just the, the future of this program. Like we're not done yet. We want to enjoy it, you know, hopefully with a, with a long run here into June, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, the way that they've turned it on late, it was it was a month ago that, you know, I was kind of asking you, how are they going to keep these guys on this roster? Are they going to want to leave because of how bleak things looked? And now you kind of look at him and go, man, the foundation and the opportunity to to finally get over the hump in Omaha, like could very well be at the doorstep for TCU because of uh, the young talent they've had and how that young talent has really stepped up in the meat grinder portion of the season to elevate this program, not just with what they've done on the field at the plate, you know, on the mound, but just the maturity and what they've done in the dugout and as leaders and the way that they've evolved um, and really grown in, in their maturity um, both on and off the field is, is something really, really cool to see. It is really cool to see. And, you know, they, they're really close as a group. You know, if you ask them at any point this season, they're like, well, we all got here in July and just like yeah. had to hang out with each other. Yeah. And so they, they granted three of them went to the same high school and yeah. another one of them played on the under 16 team USA team with a couple of those orange Lutheran kids from California. So like they were close already just having been through the recruiting process. And a lot of them played high school and club ball together, but they they like all pulled each other aside last night at the after the game was over and they're like freshman get over here freshman take a photo freshman we're all taking a photo yeah. they pulled John Delora over he's their primary recruiter and they all took a photo with the trophy together and That's cute. so you know I, I think it's this this team is just a completely different team than it was six seven weeks ago and like I said, I don't know that I can put a finger on exactly why that's the case, but it is. It's very clearly the case. And some of the credit has to go to the players. A lot of the credit has to go to the coaching staff. TJ Bruce has had this thing clicking at the plate yeah. for a long time now, for the last month. And, and you know, he, even in a game against Kansas State on Saturday, oh, so where they good. only mustered three hits. Yeah. They were, they were so taking good. incredibly good at bats. And then the safety squeeze they put on in the oh. eighth inning that ended up scoring a couple of Beautiful. runs was just the biggest put your nuts on the table kind of play. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. this is what we're going to do this. You know, we're going to do something because we just called time to set all of this up and make sure everybody knows what's going on. And then for Trey to still get a bunt down and execute oh, the way that he bunt. did yeah. for Braden to get to the plate for Cole Fontenelle to have the awareness to advance to third on the throw to first which forced an error on the throw from first yep. to third that allowed him to score, right? That was all TJ Bruce. Incredible shout out and kudos to him because he had he's had an excellent, excellent season getting these guys to where they are at this point. I know I was very critical of him a, a, about a month and a half ago, um, 
but he has Ryder up, Ryder up when TCU started to turn things around. I mean, maybe they listened to the podcast. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Uh, but what he has been able to get out of some of these guys at the plate has been wildly impressive uh, and has been a key to the run that they've put together. Well, you know, one of the things that we talked about kind of during the TCU slump, and we talked about this around Braden Taylor, who was really struggling kind of at the early part of the season is, uh, you know, it's, it's third offensive coordinator, you know, it's a new, it's a new system, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to take time for the players to adjust. One thing we didn't really give credit to was it was also going to take time for TJ Bruce to adjust to playing offensive baseball in the big 12. Right. And so, <laughs> I think that that we kind of saw and, you know, in Kirk Sarlu's too. And, and, you know, last year obviously had an incredibly successful season. He had a lot of veteran guys around him, but it, it was going to take him some time too for this coaching staff to come together. And, you know, everything, nothing happens overnight. Chemistry isn't built overnight. Systems aren't built overnight. And it, and it feels like about a month ago, you said on that Sunday of that Texas series, it, everything seemed to kind of click into place. And I think that is, again, just everybody staying the course, staying the path, trusting the process like i know that's gotten so overused Got out the joel the, and bead. yeah yeah since since the days of the 76ers but but it really does if, if you have guys that buy in are willing to buy in you can weather the valleys to get back to the peaks and again credit to this team the young guys and the veteran guys like for a guy like brain taylor who is looking to be a first round draft pick to be able to say, I'm going to stay the course, even though I'm personally very frustrated with my performance mm-hmm. on, in a year where I'm trying to make myself a lot of money um, for him to stay bought in the entire time too. And then to reap the benefits of it. I mean, that's what you want to see out of a program and it bodes yeah. well for obviously the big 12 tournament. It bodes well heading into the postseason. Um, but it, what it really bodes well for is the future of TCU baseball, um, a, a program that's just not used to not being able to legitimately strive for Omaha every year. A month ago, we thought that this was going to be the first team to miss, you know, the regional round in, in five mm-hmm. years or whatever. And just like the second and the last 15. Um, and now we're looking at this as, as a team where we look at what's objectively a very difficult regional, but thinking, I mean, yeah, like even though I'm I'm looking at this and saying this is a really bad draw for TCU, I still would not be shocked whatsoever if they managed to come out of things because of the type of baseball that they're playing, because of the way that this team is bought in and because the coaching staff, TJ Bruce specifically, is willing to do the quote unquote smart baseball play, but also willing to do the, what the heck are you thinking, man? Oh, that worked. That's awesome. It's, it's the pull up three in transition, right? Like if it goes yeah. in, everybody yeah. thinks you're a genius. If it rims out, everybody thinks you're an idiot. And he's, so he's got some big ones on him, man. Like that dude is not afraid to kind of swing him yeah. around. And, and I, res- I respect that because it's fun and because it's working. Uh, we may feel differently Thursday or Friday Look, night, but today it's fun. Here's the thing. I think what I appreciate more than anything in in the sporting world from a coaching standpoint is consistency, Mm -hmm. right? Whether or not something works in a single instance matters less to me than if your whole philosophy is changing because of circumstances beyond your control, right? hundred percent. New baseball has shown all year that they are going to be aggressive. They're going to steal bases against you. They're going to make you they're, they're going to hit and run. They're going to bunt in key situations to try and get guys home and force you to make a play defensively. And that has not changed. The execution has absolutely changed on some of the stuff that TJ Bruce is calling. And the fact that he's willing in high leverage moments like that game, that eighth inning against Kansas State to continue to stay aggressive tells me a lot about who he is and, yeah. and, and what his coaching philosophy is. The fact that you didn't shy away from that in a big moment means a ton about who he is. This is a guy who's won a national championship with UCLA. This is a guy who took Nevada Reno, uh, a, a, a 
bad historically based uh, historically bad baseball program yeah. and he turned them into a con- a perennial conference contender in the Mountain West right so this is a guy who knows what he's doing again I've been very critical of him this year uh and you know maybe that was warranted maybe it wasn't but he's he's absolutely got this thing cooking right now on the other side of that too what Kirk Sarlos has been able to do to get this pitching staff in shape over the last month has been nothing less than impressive because we talked at the beginning of the year. This is a team that was re- re- trying to replace 67% of its innings pitched and 72% of its starts from a year ago. And he was doing it with mostly freshmen and transfers. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, change takes time. Program building takes time. Uh, and, and they've hit their stride on the mound as well over the last month. And, and, Again, we could we could go on we could go down this road all day. Yeah. But suffice it to say that part of the turnaround for TCU baseball is inherently linked to the players executing plays on the field, but a big part of it is also based on the coaching staff keeping their heads down, staying the course, continuing to uh, hit on consistent messages to this team to get them ready to play good baseball, and they're doing that right now. I give credit to Kirk Charles too, for being only a second year head coach and being willing to be more of that CEO. It reminds me a lot of Sonny Dykes too. You hire the people that you think are the best at their jobs and you let them do them. And, yep. you know, I think we, we saw that success um, in both of those programs coming off of, um, you know, coaches that were definitely more micromanagers and I think very effective micromanagers, but it's, it's pretty awesome to see. Uh, Kurt come in and even when things were bad to stand by TJ Bruce and to let him continue to be aggressive and continue to call the types of plays that he's been calling. And like you said, that consistency is ultimately um, paid off for TCU, even when it looked like initially with a lot of criticism coming his way, it might not do so. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point that consistent TCU has been who they are consistently, regardless of the situations around them, regardless Mm -hmm. of their record, regardless of the score. Um, and, and we're seeing that kind of that, that fruit come to bear here uh, when, when it matters most. Um, and, and hopefully this is kind of just the, the, the things are going to start rolling downhill in a really positive way for the Horn Frogs as they head into the postseason. I think so. I think it will. Speaking of postseason, though, TCU isn't the only Big 12 team to make it into the NCAA tournament. There are six Big 12 teams making it into the tournament. That's the most that the conference has had since they had seven get in. And I, I believe it was 2017, might have been 28. 2018 i wrote about that uh, earlier uh, on our patreon uh when we were talking a little bit more about the big 12 tournament stuff but um the big 12 has texas they're a two seed going to miami they have tcu obviously as the two seed going to arkansas oklahoma state is tc is the big 12's lone host they are hosting a region in stillwater as the number 11 seed They've got Oral Roberts coming in as the four seed. Washington is the three seed. And my pick to win this region yeah. right now, Dallas mm-hmm. Baptist University going up That's there as the two seed. That is, that is a horrible draw for Oklahoma horrible State. Horrible draw. Dallas Baptist is going to win that regional, lock it in right now. You've also got West don't, Virginia. Don't sleep on ORU, though. Don't sleep on Oral Roberts. No, they got a, they got yeah, a former frog up there, too. Yeah, right? they're, they're they, little, they won their they're conference. Salty. They're, they're, they're feeling salty. themselves a little bit. And, and Washington has a really nah. famous TikTok star. That's cool. So I don't know. Them. Yeah, I don't know if they're good at baseball, but they've got you know I don't know how good that program is, but they're ba- they've got a they've got a very famous TikToker. So that's that's what they got going. Congratulations so the content, to the Washington content Huskies. Out of Hashtag water. content. Yeah. Hey, that content yeah. monster never sleeps. You've always got to feed the beast. But hey, West Virginia is a two seed going to Kentucky. Very interesting region there where uh, you've got a three seed Indiana that's going to match up with the Mountaineers. The 
Big 12 regular season champion Mountaineers, along with Texas and Oklahoma State. Um, that I, Someone tweeted at me earlier uh, on Sunday, it's going to be really funny that there are four teams that can legitimately say they were Big 12 champs this year, and yeah. three of them were regular season, and then one of them is TCU. Yeah. Um, kind of scrolling through here as we continue. We mentioned Texas is the two seed in the Miami region. Uh, we got Texas tech as a three seed going to Gainesville. That's a very interesting yeah. matchup. Their first game is against UConn, who is pretty hot in the big East this year. Yeah. And, and um, it been, UConn's like very quietly. I think this is their fifth straight regional for the Huskies. Like who do they even played, uh, baseball in Connecticut? I had no idea. <laughs> I no didn't idea. either. Yeah. But here, you know, alas, here we are. Uh, and then who am I missing? I'm missing someone. Oh, Oklahoma sneaks in. This is where we're going to segue into a little bit of an RPI conversation because Oklahoma gets in as a three seed in the Charlottesville region where they're going to be playing East Carolina. East Carolina obviously just won the American Athletic Conference title. And then Virginia is the host in that region. One of three ACC national seed hosts for um, that conference as well, which I would, I would contend is the number two conference behind the sec. As far as baseball is concerned with the big 12, probably sitting there at number three, Um, pretty clearly number three, I think at this point, when you talk about the disparities between one and two and three, and then maybe the big 12 versus the PAC 12 and the big 10, which is just, an unmitigated disaster when it comes to baseball. So it's cold up there. They don't like, yeah, they don't, they don't yeah. react well to outdoor sports unless they're hitting each other with helmets on. Um, so you've got six big 12 teams in that's the most they've gotten in since they had seven in 2018. Um, but Oklahoma gets in with a 31 and 26 record. They beat Oklahoma state in their first round game in the big 12 tournament and then are eliminated after that pretty quickly. Um, this is a team that got swept by Kansas State in the regular season. This is a team that uh, I think I closed out their schedule. They, they struggled pretty consistently all season long, but their RPI was high enough for them to get the nod to get a bid for an at-large bid over a Kansas State. And I don't think that that tells the full picture for Kansas State this year, and I don't think it tells the full story for Oklahoma this year either, just based on RPI alone. The committee has moved into this era of over-relying on RPI to make their close calls, mm-hmm. and we saw that based on the, the the first four in, last four out, that or sorry, last four in, first four out, that they showed us on the screen during the selection show, where Arizona gets in, they've got an RPI of 45. Oklahoma gets in. They've got an RPI, <clears throat> excuse me, of 40, right? So the RPI number is there, but maybe the overall resume performance is not. Meanwhile, Kansas State is sitting on the outside looking in with an RPI of 55 when they swept Oklahoma. They traveled to UC Irvine and took two of three from a good UC Irvine team that had a 49 RPI. They won the series against Texas Tech. They were two and two this year against Texas. Um, they have a pretty decent resume there with some pretty good wins, but what hurt them in their RPI and their head coach Pete Hughes talked about this after the loss Saturday to TCU was the fact that their geographic location does not have a ton of good baseball within traveling yeah. distance for midweek games. Right. And so he, he kind of, he went on this RPI rant about how they're in a worse position than some other programs 
because of where they are geographically located. And so they have to find, so now they're either forced to play these really low RPI schools that are within driving distance, um, which is good for those low RPI schools because the money they get from Kansas state supports that program. Right. And so there's, there's a win there for the lower RPI team, but Kansas state based on this new way of picking teams for the tournament is less inclined to play that game, right? They would have been better off if they just didn't play Omaha. They would have been better off if they just didn't play St. Thomas, right? Um, they would have been better off if they didn't fly Abilene Christian up. Um, and so they've got to find a way to fill their schedule and let their student athletes play a full complement of games. But how do you do that while also feeding into what the selection committee expects of you? Now, that being said, they also lost games to Omaha, Nebraska, Lamar, and St. Thomas, all of who are sub 100 in the RPI. So to an extent, I hear the argument that Pete Hughes is trying to make. You also have to win your baseball games, yeah. right? Like you have to yeah. beat those low RPI teams. They, they lost four quad four baseball games this year, uh, which is not good, right? When you think about how these games are broken out, top 50 is quad one, 50 to hundred is quad two or something like that. I can't remember the exact breakout, but a four quad four losses means you're losing to some really bad teams that, that will hurt you in the long run. And so the question that becomes, and, and, and Kendall Rogers of D one baseball asked, asked, asked coach Holmes, this in the post-game press conference where he was doing this RPI rant, he said, what would your solution be? Right. Because a lot of coaches and a lot of media folks are ranting against the RPI. Now, what would your solution be to make RPI better? And Holmes was really quick with his response. He said, I would drop the, you know, the, the worst four or five RPI teams from everybody's schedule. They wouldn't count in, in the equation because then you you're putting more weight into kind of the meat, the average of who a team is playing on a regular basis. Kendall's pushback, which I agree with is okay, well, that's going to make everybody's RPI go up, right? That's going to, that's going to boost the sec like crazy. And Pete says that that's fine. That's okay. But they're not going to be as um, punished ever, the SEC is, as a team like Kansas State or as a team on the West Coast even yeah. for who they're having to play in midweek games. Um, you, you, you look at UC Irvine as another example of this, where they're sitting there, the, the, you know, number 49 RPI, the 38 and 17 record overall, and a winning record against top 50 teams, and they're out. Because their RPI was too low, apparently. Um, they played Arizona, Arizona State, USC, and UCLA this year and had a 7-1 record against Jeez. those teams. All of those teams are top 60 RPI. When the, when, when the chairman of the committee, who we're going to get into in a second, was asked about UC Irvine's exclusion, uh, he said they needed a better top 50 resume. Well, they beat the top 50, they beat 52, 56, and 60. And those, those games apparently weren't even considered because they weren't quote unquote top 50 wins. And so now you're asking UC Irvine to travel to spend more money. How much more money are they going to have to spend to replace Pac-12 teams on their schedule with top 50 teams just to make the RPI better? Right. So now you're talking, I mean, it becomes not just an RPI game. It becomes a financial game for a lot of these institutions who maybe can't afford to do that. Now Kansas state can afford 
to travel a little bit, but then you're talking about the balance between being a student athlete. All right, well, we've got to yeah. travel for midweek games, which they did, right? They traveled to UC, UC Irvine for a midweek series. They traveled to Air Force for a midweek series. They tried to do that a little bit this year. I just think that the committee needs to back off of RPI a little bit and start to maybe more holistically consider who the best teams in the country are and who should get in in those last few or three or four spots. If I was on the committee personally, I would have made a big case for Kansas State to get in over Oklahoma um, just because of the record, because of the fact that Kansas State swept Oklahoma this year. Uh, and, and because Kansas, Kansas state advanced further in the big 12 tournament than Oklahoma did this year as well. Shoot. You've talked to me under to, to pick in UC Irvine over either of those two teams. I think sure. at this point, yeah. I mean, and I think like, look, we, we see this every year with the NCAA basketball tournament. We see this a little bit with the um, college football selection and, um, you know, and we're going to see it more as the playoffs expand, you know, in the, in the next two years, but you know, at the end of the day, um, the committee can say whatever they can use whatever metrics they want in any sport to justify their decision making, right? And if the if the NCAA baseball committee backs off of RPI, which I, I agree makes perfect sense, you need to look more holistically. We're still going to see these choices being made, but just given different justifications for them. Okay, Kansas State has four uh, sub one hundred RPI losses. Well, Oklahoma swept Texas. Right. And so there's always going to be that balancing act. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, um, yeah, I agree completely that they need to make RPI less of the deciding factor in these things and do a more holistic approach. But we're still going to end up with these decisions and for these, you know, these last couple of bubble teams in and they're just going to say it was for a different reason. Um, I have no idea what goes on. I wish they'd be more transparent in those conversations and in those opportunities. I think that there is a scenario where we start to see some of these things live streamed. Um, mm-hmm. to certain degrees in the future because you know people are going to demand it or they're going to figure out a way to monetize it and that's that's ultimately what's going to drive the bus but sure. um you know I, I think that that Kansas State absolutely has an argument but like you said man that those are some really bad losses and TCU had some of those really bad losses mm-hmm. as well um but you're you're still playing your best baseball may Kansas State was, you know, a contender in the Big 12 and kind of did tail off. Oklahoma was never really a contender, but kind of sat solidly in the middle of the pack. Um, I don't know that either of those teams go into a regional and scare anybody. And I don't know how much of a difference it makes one or the other making it in. I think just for Kansas State, you're looking at a program that's kind of on the rise. and would have liked that bump um, of just being able to say, hey, we made it. We played in the postseason that's probably the biggest difference it would have made. So agree with the argument, but like you said, at the end of the day, when you get left out and you can look at your bad losses, you've got to win those types of games. If you want to be taken seriously, when you're a team that's not regularly in the postseason for baseball, it's the same thing with basketball too. Like that was, that's been kind of TCU. The first time they made the NCAA tournament, you were looking at what were our worst losses. Cause what reason can we give them to keep us out because they mm-hmm. tend to want to keep us out anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a totally different beast though. When you're talking about TCU's schedule in RPI versus someone like Kansas state or Oklahoma. Oh, so I was talking basketball. Right? Oh, was, sorry. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Making yeah, yeah. the basketball no, right. off. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally right. Um, because just a note on TCU's baseball RPI, because they did have uh, a lot of non-conference teams on their schedule this year. The worst, the lowest RPI teams that they lost to were Lamar, who was 126 San Diego, who was 118, but they won a series against San Diego. They took yeah. two out of three. Uh, and then they lost to Florida State, two out of three in a weekend yeah. series. And, and Florida State's RPI is 61, though, right? Like, yeah. that's still and not. And they're Florida State. They're not Florida the State. same sure. Florida State, but. 
Right, but, but then, yeah, but then the TCU also had RPI wins over Vandy, who's seven, yeah. Arkansas, who's three, um, Dallas Baptist, they had multiple wins over, yeah. and our DBU's RPI was 16. They were right on the cusp of hosting. If they beat Charlotte in that conference championship game, I think they host instead of Indiana State, um, yeah. which would have been an awesome atmosphere, I think. For and sure. I think TC would have been the two seed there. Yeah, and that would have been so Would great. have been dope. Would have been really cool. Um, also, they had wins over Cal State Fullerton, who was 65 in the RPI, two wins over Texas State, who was number 60 in the RPI. Um, they I mean, they lost to Louisville, but Louisville's RPI was 43, and Louisville's not in the tournament either, right? They didn't but, make it in. Yeah, um, they're good. Bad, bad ACC record really doomed them there. Um, and uh, then but this, look this at, comes, I would say this comes back, though, to <clears throat> TCU can play a lot of teams that are sure. within 250 but, but, miles of them that are going to be top 100 programs. This is what I'm getting at is yeah. not only is TCU at the point from a, from a like blue blood perspective where they're going to get invited to things like yeah. the globe life challenge, where they're going to play Vandy and Arkansas to the minute made classic, where they're going to play Michigan and Louisville and rice. Right. But they're, they're also going to be able to schedule some of these teams that are close by Abilene Christian, Tarleton state, DBU, UTA, Texas, Texas state. state, UTRGV, yeah. right? Like all of these teams that are in state who can drive up for a midweek game and maybe only stay one night and then head back. Right. TCU did travel to Texas state as well. They stayed that Tuesday night and then they came back on Wednesday. Um, they also, the big 12 with the way that it's scheduled this year, obviously that's going to change next year and beyond with adding, adding teams to the conference. They had a couple more weekends where they could play with to, to schedule some non-conference opponents, yeah. right? They brought in Cal State Fullerton. They brought in San Diego. They brought in UNC Wilmington, which turned out to be a bad decision, right? <laughs> but, I mean, UNC Wilmington took two of three from them. They're the 39 RPI, though, right? So that's – that's and Wilmington is another team that could make a pretty big run here. They just won their conference as well. Um, this is this is where scheduling is so important. Yeah. And the, the bad thing for, for – or maybe the good thing for Kansas State, I don't know – is that they're they're getting more of their weekends filled by conference games moving forward, right? When Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and Central Florida join, right? The, the conference isn't going to only have eight weekends of baseball anymore. They're going to have more than that. I think they're going to move it to 10. So you're going to have 30 conference games now instead of 24. Wow. And that's going to help your RPI quite a bit, yeah. especially if those conference games are BYU and Houston or Cincinnati, right? Central Florida is kind of getting there when it comes to baseball, but um that that's going to help. I think teams like Kansas state in the long run, maybe have more of an opportunity to get an at-large bid when they finish, you know, second in the regular season in the conference, and then they make it to the, to the semifinals. Well, Um, second, but really fourth. Sure. Yes. (laughs) Second, but really fourth and tied for second. So yeah. 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 So really like, like fourth and a half. So, um, yeah. So, but here, here, sorry, here's the, this is, this is what I want to get to. And this is, this is where the hypocrisy was so abundantly clear on Monday, John Cohen, is the chair of the NCAA Baseball Selection Committee, okay? He is also the Auburn Athletic Director. Oh. Okay. okay. So now when you look at the 16 teams that were named hosts for the regionals, 15 of those 16 teams had a top 15, had a top 16 RPI. The one team that did not host is Campbell. Their RPI was 15, Okay. The team that replaced them as a host site, would you like to wager a guess? What was it? Indiana State? No, it was Auburn. It was oh, it was Auburn. Oh, Auburn is the only team that much that with an up. RPI outside of the top sixteen that got a host site. And huh. It was at the expense of Campbell. 
I wouldn't think that they'd be that obvious about things, but it is the SEC. So they asked John Cohen about this on the selection show. Cause you know, like, just like with basketball, just like with football for the, for the uh, CFP stuff, they bring the chair on, they do this big interview. They did not wait. Mike Rooney did not wait to fire this fastball high and tight on John Cohen by asking him, Hey, Campbell was the only team with an RPI. You just talked for a long time about how important RPI is. They let him get on a roll talking about RPI and, you know, they put up the charts and all this stuff. And yeah, we probably lean a little, rely a little too heavily on RPI these days. We need to make some adjustments to that in the future, blah, blah, blah. Speaking of RPI, John, the only team outside of the RPI top 16 to have a host site was your university, Auburn university. Campbell didn't get a host site, even though they were the 15th overall RPI. How do you, how does the committee justify that? And he's like, oh, well, I wasn't in the room was his response. You know, I Uh recused myself from Uh all of the conversations around Auburn. I wasn't in the room. I removed my blah, blah, blah. Okay. And that's probably true, right? That happens in, in the college football playoff committee ranking stuff all the time. That happens with basketball selection committee stuff all the time. I'm sure he did actually recuse himself. But everybody else in the room also knew that he was coming back in. Yeah. Everybody else in the room also knows that he's the chair of that committee, right? And so, you know, you're you're starting to okay, well, RPI really matters until it doesn't. And so there's a little bit of hypocrisy there, I think, with Campbell not getting a host site when they definitely should have gotten a host site. That being said, they're the two seed against South Carolina, and I'm fully expecting the Campbell Camels to come out of that region mm-hmm. uh, in dominant fashion because I, I think so. they're going to play pretty pissed off in that region. I, I one, of the, so. one of the eight SEC regional host sites. Yeah, yeah it, it, listen, all eight SEC teams aren't going to advance. Like that's just not going to happen. And I think that if if karma is is out there, then karma is going to knock Auburn out of their regional. But yeah, Campbell's really, really good. I mean, mm-hmm. when you talk about about programs that can hit the seams off the baseball, didn't they lead the country in home runs or something this year? I mean, just absolute just bangers up and down the lineup. So yes. I, I think Campbell just has just announced itself as America's team. Um, and so outside of rooting for your own squad, I think we're all on the back of the uh the, the camp the camels, correct? The Campbell Camels. Campbell Camels. They just won the, the Big South. They just won the, the Big life. South championship. Their first game is against uh NC State. Um, they were 41 and 13 this year. They were 22 and five in conference. They were 20 and nine away from home. <laughs> um, they beat East Carolina this year. They took two of three from App State. Uh, they beat East, oh, they beat East Carolina multiple te- times. Um, three out of four times they beat UNC Wilmington. Uh, they beat North Carolina. Um, they beat UNC Wilmington 24 to five at one point in a midweek game this year, right? Uh, they beat East Carolina multiple times. This is a team that is going to make some noise in that region. Uh, I would not be shocked at all if they could, if they come out of that region. Yeah, don't it, it, they? I think they held up a sign that said "Nobody's" uh, when they were announced. It did, as they did, they're like little locker room area. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think everybody's going to know who their name, who who the Campbell Campbells are by the end of this weekend. I think so too. I think so too. Um, look, this. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. You'll notice we only talked about baseball on this one. We might get back together later this week and hit on some football and basketball notes as well because we should have some more clarity about the basketball roster in the coming days uh, as the deadline uh, is here for Damian Ball and Emmanuel Miller to make their decision on whether they're going to stay in the professional waters or come back to school. So look for that episode later this week. 
you can find the Frogs Insider podcast on the Republic of Football Network uh, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Frogs Insider there. You can also find our written content at patreon.com slash frogs insider. We're going to be having a ton of content around the NCAA baseball tournament this week. We're going to have some more news and notes on hoops recruiting and football recruiting this week, as well as TCU prepares to have a huge football camp in the next couple of weeks over at TCU. We're going to have some interviews with some official visitors from that weekend as well up on the site. And don't forget to hit us up on socials. We just got some socials up and running. We've got Instagram. We've got TikTok. We've got a YouTube channel now. Melissa's going to be doing some TikTok dances for you guys. It's going to be yeah, really this, good. You, you, you don't want to miss these. It's yeah. She's no, gonna, it's really, really just going to be a lot of clips from the podcast and then yeah. a lot of clips of Melissa power washing her driveway. Mm-hmm. Those, those are going to be the two. That's all you need. The two pieces of content what you're going to find on the from TikTok. Your sports, sports content. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, if you go to the YouTube channel right now, you'll see the video version of this podcast as well as some, some interviews from uh, some of the players after the selection show today as we get that up and running. Make sure you subscribe everywhere to the, all the Frogs Insider stuff. We're going to keep you up to date on all TCU athletics. Melissa, I think that's going to do it for this episode. We just talked an hour about college baseball. Who else that's is thing. doing this fun? Yeah, that's the thing. We love it. Um, other than the Lepton Drinking Club, shout out to those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Th- 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 them and us, that's it. There's only people giving you this much TC baseball content. It's true. It's true. And that'll do it for Melissa Trebwasser. I'm Jamie Plunkett. We'll talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.